Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. I don't know. This is probably not a topic you immediately follow. It certainly was news to me. But here, let me go with it. At 28 years old, Chesley Christ made history as the oldest Miss USA champion in the pageant 68-year-old history. This was back in 2019. She was 28 years old. And much was made of it. She was the oldest Miss USA champion in the pageant's history. And Allure, which is an online news, culture, and beauty magazine, it's kind of an amalgam of Cosmo and the Atlantic, commissioned an essay from Chesley as she approached 30 years old, right? So shortly after she won the, uh, won the championship. And she began her essay like this. Each time I say I'm turning 30, I cringe a little. Sometimes I can successfully mask this uncomfortable response with excitement. Other times, my enthusiasm feels hollow, like bad acting. Society has never been kind to those growing old, especially women. But turning 30 feels like a cold reminder that I'm running out of time to matter in society's eyes. And it's infuriating. Again, this is part of uh, Chesley Christ's essay. This is after she won the championship, the USA champion, Miss USA championship. And I can say one reason it may have been infuriating to her is because turning 30 is the beginning of life for many of us. She was seeing it as the end of life. I'll read that sentence again because it's hard to believe. Society has never been kind to those growing old, especially women, but turning 30 feels like a cold reminder that I'm running out of time to matter in society's eyes, and it's infuriating. Yeah, it's, it's infuriating, uh, Chesley, because it's manifestly false. Uh, my own life, none of my work, uh, which has come to mark my adult life, had even been started until I was in my mid-30s. And Chesley, from all appearances, had it all. I mean, she worked to make her life conform to the highest standards of her generation. She had supported all the right causes, held all the right opinions. She was an attorney. She was an Emmy Award-nominated television correspondent. She had adopted that strong, happy woman warrior image, you know. I don't know how often you've noticed it, but every time a woman is introduced these days, one is expected to point out that she is a strong woman. Um, And she actually writes that she was part of a generation who felt encouraged by society to hoard accomplishments as fast as possible in order to measure up to our peers. I mean, living in fear that you won't measure up to society's standards, living for the praise and approval of others, fear of aging, losing the advantages of youth. I mean, those are terrible fears for a woman who really had it all, smart, educated, beautiful, energetic, delightful personality, articulate, determined. 
And Allure magazine introduces her essay by saying, quote, Chesley reflects on her journey to overcoming the relentless pressure to achieve and how she found fulfillment and purpose in herself. Well, tragically, whatever fulfillment and purpose she found in herself wasn't enough to save her from a death by suicide. Now, it'd be too easy to blame her suicide uh, on her living for the praise of others or her toxic fear of aging. I want to stress, depression and suicide are very personal, subtle, very tricky things. And I would never suggest, I know, why she chose to die by suicide or why she felt compelled. But the death of one so young who had it all does allow us to see that having it all at least as the culture defines it, is no safeguard against the destructive forces in our soul. Now, I'm going to say it again because I don't want to be misunderstood. I am not blaming her depression and suicide on her attitudes about youth, beauty, or achievement. I am saying, though, that her life shows that those achievements, that beauty, that high ranking in a highly competitive world is not enough to guard us against those hard-to-understand destructive forces that might come our way. I mean, for all I know, her depression was purely the result of biochemical forces that her doctors couldn't balance. But what we can see is that for all the extraordinary achievements she had by the age of 30, that wasn't enough to keep her from those destructive forces. Um. One thing we can point out, you know, judging from her essay, that she never really internalized the teaching of Christ. And I do not know anything about her spiritual background. I mean, those of us who champion the work of Christ for our redemption, redemption sometimes fail to take advantage of his teaching as a body of wisdom for life. Jesus teaches us much. He came to give us abundant life, uh, not only in the age to come, but now. He pays the penalty for our sins, certainly, but he's also the wisest person who ever lived and is the most effective teacher of life who ever lived. He knows our deepest fears, our anxieties, our deceits and deceptions. He knows all of our dodging and pivoting to avoid being examined in the light of his loving gaze. Jesus knows what makes our lives to be good, to be true, to be beautiful. And one of the things he's very clear on is that the preoccupation with external appearance and beauty is wrong. It flies in the face of the wisdom he offers and his apostles offered. You know, you might remember uh, the the portrait of Dorian Gray uh, in which the, the quote is made, I know now that when one loses one's good looks, whatever they may be, one loses everything. Your picture has taught me that. Youth is the only thing worth having. When I find that I'm growing old, I shall kill myself, end quote. Wow, that is in direct uh, denial of what Christ offers us, the life that he offers us. So St. Paul writes, for instance, women should adorn themselves in respectful apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls, or costly attire, and Peter takes it even further. He says, don't let your adorning be external, 
the braiding of hair, hair and the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. Let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. You know? um, again, the emphasis on looks, simply we're warned against it uh, within the wisdom of the church. Um, Chesley, Chesley, I, I want to stress, really did fight against the idolatry of youth. She didn't just com- simply comply or conform herself. She did uh, find it difficult, though, to escape the cultural pull towards this idea that we're forever young, you know. She's a great writer, uh, and she wrote, How do I shake society's unwavering norms when I'm facing the relentless tick of time? It's the age-old question, what happens when immovable meets unstoppable? End quote. You know, take a look at the world's vision of what's valuable. Look at the television commercials. Take a look at how youth is portrayed. Live for today, beautiful cars, fitness forever, dining in hotels and resorts and beaches, night after night, day after day. What about older people? How are they portrayed in commercials? Well, not very pretty. They show older people panicked about retirement or anxiously looking for protective underwear or scouring around looking for balance of nature to make themselves young again. Our society makes age a liability, you know, telling us that the 80 is the new 60. (laughs) Biblical wisdom teaches something very different. Proverbs 20.29, the glory of young men is their strength, but the splendor of old men is their gray hair. Job, wisdom is with the aged and understanding in length of days. She actually writes explicitly that she was part of a generation who felt encouraged by society to hoard accomplishments as fast as possible in order to measure up to our peers. Again, think about the values there. Measuring up to our peers. Living in fear that we won't measure up. Living for the praise and approval of others. Jesus says, what does it profit a person if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? This is some of the most basic teaching of Christ. This passage has become part of our vocabulary. And and as often happens, what's most familiar is often overlooked. You know, I discovered that the world's most important question, I'm quoting her now, I discovered that the world's most important question, especially when asked repeatedly and answered frankly, is why. Why earn more achievements just to collect another win? Why pursue another plaque or medal or line item on my resume if it's for vanity's sake rather than out of passion? Why work so hard to capture the dreams I've been taught by society to want when I continue to find only emptiness? End quote. I, I understand. Many men and women spend their lives always seeking to be at the center of action, at the top of the heap only to learn that there is no inner circle of the elite. There are thousands of competing circles of elites, and no one can judge between them. There's no end to the heap. It just keeps getting higher and higher and going on and on and on. There's no top, no resting place, apart from resting in the one who himself ceased working on the seventh day, knowing God. Who are we uh, in God? You know, uh, St. Paul in the first verse of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it goes right by without notice until you stop and think about it. 
St. Paul tells us where he gets his sense of identity. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God with our brother Sosthenes. His identity is who he is in Christ. He's heard the call of God in his life. He's a sent one. He's an apostle of Christ Jesus. He's living in the will of God. And in in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, he, he lets us know that we all have been chosen in Christ before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accord with his pleasure and will. We find our identity in God's calling in our lives, and we're going to continue to battle the world of flesh and the devil. You know, Chesley wrote eloquently about the battle against the world, the standards of society that are dominated by consumerism, competition. And again, St. John knew about this in his first letter. He writes, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, that is not from the Father, but is from the world. 1 John 2.16. St. John Henry Newman, I think, gives us the best advice here for who we are in identifying ourselves. He says, quote, God has created me to do him some definite service. He has committed some work to me, which he has not committed to another. I have my mission. I never may know it in this life, but I shall be told it in the next. Somehow, I am necessary for his purposes, as necessary in my place as an archangel is in his. What I'd like to do is just end this meditation on the confidence we have that God has called us and has a purpose for our lives. 